the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. So far, what I've been doing is developing the reputation and the relationships with my referral clients and with the referral partners. And part of determining how to move forward is to figure out where I am now. And what I've been doing is working on the process of coaching so far. And it's less about the materials that I'm preparing for people. We're talking three, five plus year plan on turning this into the monster that I, I hope that it will become. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mudrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, my friend, it was good to see you last week. We had a good planning session for the conference. It seems that our speaker list is about 90% finished, and it should be published by the time that this episode drops. So that's pretty exciting. I was going through, and I sent you a text last night. I went through and made sure I put gaps for the speakers and everything like that. I think we're at capacity. I don't think we have any more room. I think we could, if someone came through at the last minute and said, hey, and, and they're a really, really good get, I think we would squeeze them in. But I think at this point, we're at capacity. We've, I think it's an amazing speaker list, in my opinion. I think there's going to be a lot of value that we're going to add at the conference. So. I'm excited about it. If you liked last year's conference, you should love this year's conference, in my opinion. And just to be clear, you're talking about full capacity of speakers. We still have spots available for the conference itself. Oh, yeah. I'm only talking about speakers. I mean, we sold a lot of tickets in the first two days. And then over the first month, we sold a lot of tickets. But uh, yeah, we've got, we've got plenty of room left. We've got a much bigger space this year. So we were expecting more people. So And we've we've already gotten more people than what we had last year. So we're in good shape for space. So if you do want to get a ticket, get it now because prices are still, I guess, technically at early bird. We got past the super duper early bird and we're still at early bird. So we probably need to announce that on the, in the Facebook group, but uh, yep. So get your tickets. There's a link inside the Facebook group. We'll have the link in this episode. And then you can also search it through Eventbrite if you want to get your tickets. But uh, Jimmy, we have a guest this week uh, and I will take it upon myself to introduce him. So it's Stephen Lefkoff, and he's, I apologize if I mispronounced that, Stephen, but he's got a really interesting practice, and really the way he put it to us is that it's, he represents you know, general representation of motor vehicle companies, and that includes dealers, finance companies, repair, and then auction, but 
He's also got this new focus that he's trying to bring in to make his primary focus, and it's small claims coaching, which I think is very, very interesting. And, and we'll let Stephen talk more about that. But Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Really excited to be here. Stephen, tell us, how did you start your practice after law school? What was your experience? And then what made you go out on your own? So I had a pretty interesting experience, actually. In law school, I was introduced to a solo attorney who I kind of relate to as the Lincoln lawyer, if anyone's seen that movie or or read about it. Basically kind of lived out of his car, went from court to court doing whatever walked in the door. And I started interning with him when I was in law school and learned a ton. And then he joined with a fraternity brother of his when I was in my third year of law school to start a practice, to start a firm. And they asked me if I'd be their first hire. And I said, absolutely. So for seven years, I worked for them. I kind of hit somewhat of a glass ceiling at the firm. They knew how they wanted it structured. And it was basically the two partners and a bunch of associates and staff. And that's how they wanted it. We had a lot of discussion about where I could see myself at the firm, how to move forward, how to grow there. And after about seven years, I realized that my future wasn't going to be there. So I started planning. And actually, it, it was April of 2017, I started my practice. But in June of 16, I looked at my wife and said, in April of 17, I'm going to start. And she said, why eight or nine months from now? How can you possibly figure all that out? I said, because I'm going to make sure, A, that that's what I want to do. It gives me enough time. And B, I want to plan it out so that I'm ready to roll when the time comes. And sure enough, I think it was Monday, I want to say April 17th, a, a day that'll live in my personal life in infamy. I went into the one of the partner's offices in the morning at nine o'clock and said, essentially that, that I'm starting my practice May 1st. Appreciate so much what you guys have done for me, but uh, this is where I see my future. And he was super excited. He congratulated me. He said, let's talk about the clients we have over the next two weeks so that we can make sure that we're putting out a letter together so that clients know what's happening and they can choose where they want to go. And they're, by the way, they're probably a handful of clients I know will join you, Stephen, because they've been working with you for years. And there are a handful of clients that I know will stay with us. And then there are some that are sort of in the middle. And I thought that was great. I was excited for that. I had already picked out logos, letterhead, office space, all of this, because I knew the day was coming. But I was hoping for those two weeks to sort of get everything in line. And that was about 10 o'clock or so that meeting ended. And at two or so in the afternoon, the other partner came into my office and said, why don't we make this your last day so that there's no conflict about if you get calls for new clients and what to do moving forward. And I said, okay, you know, if that's how you guys want to do it, I'm ready for that scenario, that situation. Part of planning went in to thinking about that. And so that what that Monday was my last day. And Tuesday, I woke up in the morning and started my new practice. And uh, it's been off and running ever since. That's a crazy story. And I'm sure that plenty of our listeners can relate to that that feeling. So so congratulations on doing that. But now that you've been in this, let's see, I guess about almost two years, I guess, of so 2017, what is it that you enjoy the most about practicing law and running your own firm? For me, the business side, for sure. And it's twofold. It's number one, the actual business of the law firm itself. And the other is the economics of making myself available to my clients. And what I mean by that, this kind of goes into the small claims practice. 
which is how can I help people while staying within their budget? In our practices, every practice is different in how we price our cases, whether it's flat fee or retainers and hourly or other arrangements, bartering arrangements. I did that once. It was a disaster. But there are all kinds of different ways where you can work your practice. And we'll get into the small claims soon enough, but that has hit me exactly where I want to be. And that's figuring out the business side of how to make my clients get what they want and how to also pay my own bills while doing it. That's awesome, Stephen. Let me ask you this question. If you could go back to that Tuesday morning after you left your old firm and could say some advice to yourself, things that you've learned or things that surprised you, what advice would you give yourself? Take your time would be number one. I think lawyers, at least many of the ones that I know, are in triage mode all the time. We're always putting out fires or running around from this meeting to that meeting or answering this call or this email. Everything's immediate. And part of what I did leading up to starting the practice was to take my time in planning, but you never know how it's going to go. And when that Monday afternoon meeting happened, I spent all night, Monday night, drafting emails and figuring out how I was going to start Tuesday morning. And I wish I had taken a little bit more time to do that. I started with a practice management software that at the time was the most affordable. And I did it because it was the most affordable. I had no idea what my revenues would be. I didn't tell a single client that I was leaving the firm before my last day there out of respect for the two partners that I'd been working for for seven years. And so I didn't know where my next dollar was going to come from on that Tuesday. So my practice management software was the most affordable. It also was definitely not the best. And I learned that two or three weeks in after using it. And I wish I had taken a little bit more time to toy around with it and experiment with it because so much of my practices run through that software or the replacement software now. But at the same time, I'm glad it only took me two or three weeks to figure that out because I got to believe if it had taken me a year or two, it would have been a lot harder to switch. So, you know, be nimble, but at the same time, really think about the decisions you're making and, and how to move forward. It's easy to tackle today. It's a lot harder to tackle next week, next month, next year. Stephen, we'll get to the new part of your practice in a second. I definitely want to get into that, but I'm still curious about just over the last couple of years, what it's been like. What do you think is the best decision you've made since starting your practice? Well, not including starting my practice. For me, and this may be very different than a lot of a lot of the listeners in the group, but for me, it's the decisions I haven't made yet. My office, it's just me and Ruby receptionists I use as my receptionist service. I don't have any employees. I don't have any staff. I don't have any associate attorneys. I'm trying to keep the practice very, very lean because of just how concerned I think I was a year and a half ago about where the money was coming from. So it's less about maybe decisions I've made in moving forward and more about the decisions or the things I have not done, perhaps. And then the other piece is kind of the branding of the firm I've really spent a lot of time thinking about. And I did one of these online services where they they compete to build your logo, which was the coolest and most nerve-wracking thing I've done in a long time because next thing I know, I have 400 logos in my inbox that I have to sift through and deal with and figure out, okay, which one do I like, not like, et cetera. So I ended up going to FedEx or Kinko's 
and printing all of them on color paper because I couldn't tell on a computer screen, which I liked and didn't like. Laid them all out in my living room with my wife and my kids who are way too young to know what's a good logo and a bad logo. And we all played around with all of these different things trying to figure it out. So that was really fun. It was an enjoyable experience to get down to how I want to brand and brand the firm, less about marketing the firm and more about branding so that when I'm ready to market, I have all the pieces in place to be able to throw the logo out to a company to make something or to to design the website. It's all there. I'm not starting from scratch each time I have to figure out what I'm doing to market. Stephen, talk to us about that first year of practice. What was it like? Where was the money coming from? What was your staffing or what was your you know, what other resources did you have besides just your own time? Yeah, so it was just me. I'm I'm fairly competent with technology, so I automated as much of the practice as I could as far as generating documents and uh, email responses and following up with clients and scheduling. As much of that as I could do without having to do it myself, I was able to set into place. It's always been just me um, for the last year and a half. That first year was crazy. I was fortunate that maybe maybe a dozen clients ended up joining me at my practice. And where I was at the old firm, my focus was really, like Tyson said, on this motor vehicle practice. It's very general. I have clients that are dealerships here in Atlanta. I have clients that are in finance all around the state, repair shops, tow companies. I represent a few auctions that are international. And that was how the practice started. I figured that's what I know how to do. That's what I'm comfortable doing. That's going to be my focus. And that's where the clients came from. And fortunately, with corporate, with business clients, with a few of them, there's kind of a steady stream of business. So once I got the call that so-and-so was joining me at this new practice, had a drink, celebrated, got super, super excited, and then uh, got to work. And they had enough work, fortunately, for me to keep the doors open for that first year. I didn't, just in the business side, I didn't pay myself for three months. I didn't take a single salary or distribution, not a single dollar. I had over those nine months of preparation for the firm. I knew that that was going to be my strategy. I wanted to build up the bank in the firm just in case I have a bad month, bad couple months, or if I want to hire someone, there's the resources there for me to do it. I don't have a situation where I'm so busy that I need to hire, but don't have enough money in the bank to do it. So I made sure to take some time before paying myself just to grow the firm's resources. And that's really how it all, how it all started. So I was two months in, and one of the things I pride myself on is the relationship with my clients. We're all relationship-based. We're service industry. If you don't have a relationship with your client, you're going to have a really tough time keeping them. And for some areas of practice, it's okay. You have a one case area, right? Where you have one case with that client and then they're done. Now you want referrals from those clients. So it's important to maintain those relationships regardless. But if you represent businesses and they're sending you multiple cases all the time, there are so many fish in the sea. There are so many other lawyers they'll go to with much more resources than I have with the marble floors in their high-rise building, et cetera. So I have to make sure that I'm maintaining that relationship with my clients. And I have a client out of Dallas, Texas is their corporate office. And I decided one of the very first things I was going to do after opening my firm was I was going to go visit them. They had been with me for a number of years and they 
were one of the first clients to reach out and say, you know what, we're going to join you at your new firm. We're very excited for you, and we're looking forward to this partnership. I said, you know what, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to take you to lunch. So I booked a flight from Atlanta to Dallas, Texas. I had no depositions. I had no casework to do. I had no interviews that I needed to take care of at their corporate office. I literally went to take them to lunch. And their general counsel, this is a multi-billion dollar international corporation, joined us. And he, he looked at me at lunch. There were five of us. It was the litigation team. And he said, so what brings you into Dallas? And I said, lunch with you. And he just started laughing. And he said, what do you mean lunch with me? Is there no, you don't have any depositions to take? You don't have any court hearings? There's no other reason you're here? I said, nope, I'm here to take you to lunch. He said, well, you're probably the first or maybe the second in my 10 years of doing this to actually come out here just to say hello. He said, it's a pleasure. We're really glad you came. And that relationship has fostered over the last year and a half or almost two years now where they're still a great client and I now do, I did that again the following year, took them out to lunch again, same thing, just to lunch. And it was worth every penny that I spent to do it. I was worried when I said, I want to take your team out. I didn't know how many people were on the team. And that email that I got when the litigation rep said there were four, I breathed a heavy sigh of relief, but at the same time, it was worth it, every bit of it, because it fostered that relationship. All right, Stephen. So we've talked a lot about your firm and starting your firm and everything else. Let's jump into why we brought you onto the show to talk about. And that's your new practice area or fairly new practice area, I believe. And that's coaching small claims clients. You want to talk a little bit about what you're talking about? Yeah, I was one of my car dealers. I go to what we call Georgia Magistrate Court, which is small claims, which has a a limit, a jurisdictional limit of $15,000. And I go... to a lot of these motor vehicle cases are well below that amount of money. And so I go to small claims court a lot for these clients. And I was in court about eight or nine months ago, just in in one of the pews watching a case before me with two pro se litigants representing themselves on a breach of contract case. And the plaintiff had the winning case, the winning law, the winning evidence, literally everything was in the plaintiff's favor. But he couldn't control himself in the courtroom. He was crying, screaming in front of the judge. The judge asked the plaintiff to stop talking. The plaintiff kept going, talking about irrelevant issues to the case, things about college education and how to pay for car payments and all kinds of other wacky things that had nothing to do with the fairly simple breach of contract matter they were there for. And eventually the judge said to the plaintiff, if you say another word, I'm gonna hold you in contempt. And then he said, I don't even know if I have that power in the magistrate court, but I'm going to see. Plaintiff says, okay, yes, yes, your honor sits down. About three minutes later, jumps back up and starts screaming at the judge again. And the judge says, okay, I don't know if I can hold you in contempt, but I'm done with this case. You guys have hit your time limit and I'm ruling for the defendant. And I sat there going, oh my goodness. It kind of hands went up on my forehead. And I said, if this person had access to counsel, even just to understand how to present yourself in court, that's an $8,000 judgment in favor of the plaintiff in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. But because of that lack of counsel, because the plaintiff was so unprepared, I guess I would say, for how to present themselves in court, that went from an $8,000 judgment for the plaintiff to $0 and a defense verdict. And that's where I said, okay, there's a large gap in the market here for 
civil litigants to represent themselves. And that's where I've started this practice. And so what happened? What did you do? So when I got back to my office, I sat down, started thinking about how to do all this. And I've, I've created a tiered system of flat rates. So at the, at the bottom tier, it's just coaching where clients come to my office with their case. It's essentially a, a consultation is really what it is for about an hour. They can either do it in my office or they can be anywhere in the state of Georgia. And we could do it by video chat. I use uh, Zoom as the service I use, but by video chat, we can do it or even over the phone. I'll review their documents. I'll talk about how court works, what the pros and cons of being in the magistrate court are, and how to present your case, what witnesses you need to be there, what evidence you need to present, how to cross-examine the other side, how to present your opening statement, how to present a closing argument. At the bottom tier, that's what I do. I coach them on how to present their own case. Once they file, they sign their pleadings. Once they have a court date, we have a second meeting just to prepare them for the experience at court, just to remind the client of, okay, here's how it works. Just remember, this is what we talked about. This is what you need. This is what the answer of the defendant means. Or if you are the defendant, this is what the lawsuit's all about. We go through that process and then they go to court and they do their own case. In the middle tier, I will ghostwrite their pleadings. So if for their signature and their filing. And you got to check with your state bar. Yeah, I know this is kind of a national podcast. You'd have to check with your state bar to make sure this is okay. But in addition to the coaching, if the client is just not comfortable writing out what they need to write out, how to draft the lawsuit or the answer, or if there's a motion that needs to be filed, which doesn't really happen in small claims in Georgia, but every now and again, something weird comes up, that's included in the middle tier. And then at the top tier, it's full representation. I take care of the whole case. And the, I've been shocked at how many folks have taken that top tier. I price it so that in hopes that they don't, frankly, because I think the coaching for the client is valuable both for my practice so that I don't have to calendar courts and, and be at different courts all over the state, but also for the client, him or herself. It's that you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. If I can work with clients, business or individuals to be comfortable to represent themselves in small claims court, then they can do this moving forward and feel very comfortable with it. And that's, I tell a lot of my clients, it's like the people's court. There are a lot of times where judges don't want to see attorneys in small claims court in Georgia. We're certainly entitled to be there, but we know the evidence rules and we know, you know, we object to certain issues and different things that sometimes the judges in magistrate court in Georgia really just want to hear the story. They don't want to hear attorneys jump up and yell about objections and different issues with evidence, et cetera. They want to hear the story. And so a lot of times it's actually beneficial for the clients to represent themselves instead of having an attorney there. I really am intrigued by this just because in Missouri, there are no rules of evidence in small claims court. So it's, it is more of the judge just hearing the story. So it's really, really interesting to me how this works for you. But I'm more curious, I guess, about how you get your clients, because I can picture someone wearing a sandwich board saying, you know, get small claims representation or advice, blah, 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 or having, um, there's someone that's on my Instagram that has the justice truck. It's like a food truck, but they drive around and, the, and they take on representation of clients. And I think they drive around the courthouse. I think you could do creative things like that to get clients. Now, I mean, 
I'm not sure you want to do it that way, but I'm just curious, how do you get your clients? So the website just launched in the last few weeks. So I'm about to start actually marketing it to non-lawyers. But up to today, all of my clients have come from lawyer referrals, other local attorneys that get calls from folks that have small claims matters, and they can't take it. It doesn't fit their business model. It doesn't pay their bills. They wouldn't even know really where the magistrate court is. There are so many local attorneys here in Georgia that have never practiced in magistrate court. They don't really know how it works, what's different, what's the same. And so I've been working my tail off to make sure that my name is in front of every lawyer in the state when they get a call that's a small claims call because they're just not prepared for it. So I get a ton of referrals from attorneys and clients call and they say, I got your name from so-and-so. I've got this $7,000 breach of contract case. And I knew exactly that that attorney can't take that case. It just doesn't meet the way they've structured their practice. So as you move into looking for business directly from potential small claims court participants, what kind of lead magnet or what kind of messaging are you going to develop? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm still, I'm working on that, whether it's what I want eventually is to have sort of an ebook type and YouTube program where I would have clients, they would find me. I mean, one of the beauties of small claims court is that most people don't know. They're not familiar with court and how it works. They don't go often. So there are Google opportunities there. You type in small claims court in Fulton County, and I would love my website to come up because they're looking for an address. They don't know where to go. They don't know where that is. And my website would come up with sort of the the thought being, do you need help in small claims? Have you been served with a small claims suit? I don't want to be one of these lawyers that fires out letters, that checks the dockets and sends automated letters. That's just not me. That's not who I am. But at the same time, I recognize that I have to get out. It can't just be other attorneys referring me cases. Folks have to uh, have to find me organically. And so, you know, to shift, I guess, a little bit, once, once that piece starts to grow, ultimately, I see this as less of my input. I, I don't necessarily have to meet with the clients when they find me. They'll have access to an even more affordable, say, a video portal, or like I said, an ebook with chapters on every part of the case of how to handle it. And they can either a one-time fee, a monthly deal if they're a corporate client or what have you, where they can have access to these different materials and can represent themselves and can learn themselves and teach themselves. And I'm available if need be, but the hope is that it can be really an educational program. So I'm going to say something and I don't mean to to offend you in any way, but it almost seems like you're not ready for it yet. I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like you're not in a position yet because you don't have those educational products put together. Am I wrong with that? Tell me where I, where I am on with that question, because I, I almost feel like you need to have that stuff before you can launch this and, it, and you're not in that position. Yeah, that hasn't been the case. So far, what I've been doing is developing the reputation and the relationships with my referral clients and with the referral partners. And part of determining how to move forward is to figure out where I am now. And what I've been doing is working on the process of coaching so far. And it's less about the materials that I'm preparing for people. 
and more about what will be contained in those materials. And I'm learning from doing, frankly, on all of that. We're talking three, five plus year plan on turning this into the monster that I, I hope that it will become. I'm still very much in the ground floor of the personal experience with these clients. And so I haven't found that to be the case. Tyson, it's been it's been great. Um, and folks have really appreciated it and enjoyed it. It will shift and it will ebb and flow like any other business does as time goes on and I get more resources to be able to create what I'm talking about in the long run. But for now, it's been a blast, truly a blast. Let me follow up to that. And, and I like your answer about it being a long-term thing. And I, and I appreciate that. That's That's a good one. Is there any concern, though, that this is not scalable because it's more based upon the coaching and not on the product? Does that make sense to you? Of course. That hasn't been my concern yet. The state of Georgia, we have, we're blessed or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. We have the most counties of any state in the country, believe it or not, in Georgia. And so we have a ton of separate court systems. The market is enormous for this product and for this service. And so I don't find the scalability to be a huge issue. I think there's some concern that once someone's coached, they're coached. You know, it's it's like it's hard to sell them on a new product or a new service when they've already paid for the service and they've already been given the service. But the potential market is so large and the fact that I can do it remotely, right? You don't have to be in my office for me to do this. You don't have to be in a court that's within an hour from my office for me to do this. It goes to Tifton, Savannah, North Georgia, the whole state can be covered from me at my desk, which is the beauty in my mind, one of the great benefits to this. All right. So I'm going to hop in here and join in my brother Tyson and think out loud that I would think that what you'd want is less opining on a particular case from someone and instead sort of think of all the steps of the process and make videos and have like a, an online course for someone, or I don't think you're going to want to be having these Skype consults. I mean, one if, one if you get, and know you'll laugh and say this will be a good problem, but one if you get a thousand people a month wanting, wanting to talk to you, that's not scalable. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's both a concern and like you said, a good problem to have, but that would be a big problem. If, if I next month, rolled out some marketing plan, and all of a sudden I have a thousand people filling out forms that are getting blasted to my email, I would be in the exact triage situation that I'm trying so hard to avoid. So part of this is a slow rollout to kind of work out the kinks. And part of it is figuring out how that plan is going to work and thinking about it because Jim, you're right. I mean, that would be a big problem for me if that happened tomorrow. So ultimately what I want is for it to become an automated program, uh, a service provided through videos, through eBooks, through different mediums so that clients can do it themselves because then it's scalable infinitely. If I get a thousand calls in an hour, it won't be a problem. Or if I get you know, 10,000 submissions in a month on a form, it would be no problem because it's all the system is in place. So that's a that is something that I'm working on and that's gonna have to come 
as the growth happens because it's just not 100% feasible today for me to do that. All right. So the first month of the first quarter is almost at an end. So you'll have 90 days left in this quarter. What do you need to do in the final 90 days of this first quarter to help get this thing off the ground even more and in a better position to help clients? So the next step that I had envisioned was to turn my meetings, like you said before, Tyson, turn the meetings from personal meetings to a bit more informal. And in order to do that, I need to write, frankly, how the process works in magistrate court. And so for the next 90 days, what I intend to do is really tailor the coaching into materials, into papers that I can build this business out of, because that's where it's all going to stem from. I, I'm, I'm a writing person. I'm a visual person. I have to put down what the plan is. I have to write it down. And so part of that will be turning what I have all up in my brain into words on paper. I think you've come across something that is potentially very, very powerful and a, a great niche and, frankly, a great access to justice initiative. I think that if I were you, I would spend some time studying people who've done info products like Dan Kennedy or I've come across these guys, the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. There's lots of people that can teach you about information marketing and sort of how to package this. There's there's people much smarter than the three of us who spend all their time helping people build this stuff out. I think you can learn a lot of it on your own. In fact, you know, our podcast started after Tyson and I went to a conference on info marketing that Dan Kennedy had. And I think that the law part is going to be the easy part. The logistics and delivery, I think, is where you want to start spending some of your time thinking, because I think it is ultimately a scalable thing if you do it the right way. Yeah, I think you're right. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, like I just said, I'm a visual person. I'm writing down that as we speak. Stephen, and I think everything Jim was said was correct. I, and I, I think you're you've got a potential. I don't know if I'd call it a gold mine, but I think you've got a potential great niche because no one else is in that area. You've got people that do probably want access to representation that can't afford it, and you've also got that that side that Jim was talking about, where it's like this public interest side where you the access to justice. So I think there's so many ways you could play this, and especially with, uh, PR that it could really benefit you. So I, I kudos to you for doing it. I think you've got a real shot of doing something great. So kudos to you. We do need to wrap it up. I actually have to go to court, so we've got to wrap this thing up. So before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group and get involved there. There's a lot of lot of activity every single day going on there. So get involved. And then also, if you don't mind, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and give us a five-star review. We really, 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 really do appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Well, I'm glad I'm not heading to court like you are, but my hack of the week is a movie. It's called 99 Homes, and it's an older movie. It's probably about five years old. It's with Andrew Garfield, and it's about a young guy who basically loses his house in the Florida housing crunch, and it's, 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 a, it's a very, very good movie, but I've been thinking about it a lot as it relates to me as a lawyer. And, and what I mean by that is if you watch this movie and you think about this guy's life, like the things that he's worried about, he's worried about making the mortgage, he's worried about getting food for his kids. 
these are the people, for those of us with consumer-facing practices, these are the people that come to see us. And so when we scratch our head and say to ourselves, why aren't these people in love with our firm? And why aren't they just beating down our door to give us money or to do business with us or to trust us? It's because they've been screwed so many times. And this movie really, I think, crystallizes what a lot of our clients are going through on a daily basis. So I, I would urge people to watch it sort of through that lens. It's, it's a great movie on its own. But through that lens, I think it can be really insightful for us as lawyers and marketers. Very good. And how, how do you find that? Where do you find that movie? It's on Amazon. I think it might be Amazon Prime. It's 99 Homes. I like it. Okay. All right, Stephen, what is your tip or hack of the week? Yeah, I've used a website for a long time, a long time. It's slickdeals.net. And I really live by this penny saved is a penny earned theory. And uh, what this site has is people post deals on different products and you can set alerts for anything you need, whether it's personal or business, computers, printers, TVs, you name it, you can set alerts for it. And then you get an email when someone posts this kind of deal. And I know expenses can sometimes be a minor part of the business, but if it's something that you don't need immediately, but you know in the next three or four months you're going to need a new printer, you can set up an alert, and then when the deal comes through, you just buy it, and you've saved – I mean, I've already in a year and a half, I've saved thousands of dollars in my business, no question about it, by using that site. So it's slickdeals.net. I'm a big fan. I just pulled it up. I'm going to check that out because I believe the same as you. I watched a uh, talk by um, Jim Morgan from Morgan & Morgan, whatever his first name is. He had like this two-hour talk. I think you can find it online where you get to a certain point where your business, you're making basically the revenues that you're going to make. So where do you, where do you increase those profits? And that's by decreasing your expenses. And so, the, you know, there's two ways of increasing your profits. It's increasing your revenues or, or decreasing your expenses. And the, usually decreasing the expenses is the easiest way to increase profits. So I think that's a brilliant one. That really is good. So, Stephen, I think my tip of the week is one that actually will, might help you. And it's Dan Kennedy's most recent book, magnetic marketing. I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but I feel like he really does kind of go back to basics to some extent, but there's also some more advanced techniques in here. So I, I recommend it. Magnetic marketing. I think it came out about a month ago. Really good book. Check it out. I think it would help with your new product that you're proposing. Steven, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really do appreciate it. I think what you talked about today is something that hopefully will inspire other attorneys that are thinking about creating new niches to really kind of inspire them to do it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. I've been listening a long time. This has really been a pleasure, and I'll, uh, I'll see you at the conference. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.